Hi and welcome to the Work It's Personal podcast with me, Rowan Hammond. Today I was thrilled to be joined by media icon David Koch, host of TV breakfast program Sunrise, chairman of the Port Adelaide Football Club and small business advocate and owner. David spoke about the importance of failure and coming back from the brink to ensure success. I loved hearing about his passion for enabling and investing in small businesses through the organisations he is involved with today. An authentic and pioneering leader in anything he turns his mind to. Hope you enjoy listening to his personal account in this episode. David, thanks for joining us on Work It's Personal. Uh, Rowan, good to see you. Thank you. Firstly, most people know you for your role as host on the Sunrise Breakfast Program. Yep. Of course, one of the best. My hobby. Yes, Channel 7 <laughs> in Australia. But of course, you're involved in other organisations. Yep. Could you t- please tell us a little bit about those organisations sure. and your role? Sunrise was sort of the hobby that got out of control. I was asked that uh, I've always been a finance nerd, finance journal, and I was doing finance reports for Sunrise and the host got sick and they asked me to fill in for three months. And that's coming up to 20 years 20 ago. 20 years, this wow. October. Congratulations. So, so it's the longest filling job, I think, in history. <laughs> and it's been terrific. But my, my passion is small business and personal finance. Mm. That's what I have been all of my journalistic life. I've had my own family business in, in different ideations for 30 years, 35 years. I'm old enough and ugly enough now to have children who actually run the business uh, and do it better than I did. So they refer to me as the chief bullshitter and they actually run the thing (laughs) and they do it really well. So that's my great love is my family business and I invest in startups and the AusBiz business and investment streaming channel. I co-founded that two years ago, so I I love that whole business markets finance space. So mm. that's what I do. So at the end of Sunrise every day, I come to the offices, the business, my business offices, and and work the rest of the day there. And of great. course, you're still involved with Port Adelaide oh, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, that's my community job. Is president of the Port Adelaide AFL club. My And people go, ah, but you live in Sydney. My dad used to play for them. I was born in Adelaide, grew up in Port Adelaide, and then dad got transferred to Sydney, which we all moved across. But end of 2012, the AFL asked me to be involved because financially it was sort of a club on the brink. And Mm -hmm. we've rebuilt that and built a uh, sustainable business model. And it's a wonderful club, 151 years old, one of the – the oldest professional sporting clubs in the world, started by a bunch of wharfies in Port Adelaide to keep fit and has an incredible heritage of connection with community, which Mm. is what I love the most. Fantastic. And, of course, your career has spanned many decades. Yep. Where did it all... Thanks for making me feel old, (laughs) Rowan. That's great. (laughs) Lots of experience there, of course. Don't give me that. Don't give me that. But um, where did it all start for you? Where where did life start? How did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your family background. Yeah, I grew up in uh, in Adelaide. Dad worked for a um, a big listed company, got transferred to Sydney, ended up being managing director of RW Miller and was the youngest top 200 company chief executive at the time. It got taken over. He then was a a coal trader and worked around the world, lived in America and things like that. So I've always grown up in a business family. It's funny, and the more I've been involved in small business and startups, it's amazing the number of founders who come from business families Mm. 
who have almost picked up the essence of business through osmosis just mm. by sitting around watching family and, tables and mm. watching parents mm. and things like that. Fantastic. So I was lucky because my dad was my hero, was my mentor, was everything. So I yeah. had a great childhood and in my early career had great guidance from him. I started on, I was an accountant, offered a job on the Australian newspaper as a cadet on their business pages. Uh, mum and dad were living in America at the uh, then worked for BRW and mum and dad were working in San Francisco at that time and there was a magazine in America called Money Magazine and it was a magazine for retail investors and we had nothing here in Australia. We had no, it was when Hill Samuel started the first cash management trust, would you believe, before wow. any personal finance sections in newspapers or the like. I thought, oh, that's a good idea. And like mm. the best businesses, they're usually ideas you pinch from somewhere else. <laughs> and I took the idea to Fairfax and that started Personal Investment Magazine, which became a huge success story in the 80s and 90s. And I created that for Fairfax and then went out on my own and started my own business. And, and could you say that was sort of one of the more pivotal moments as oh, you, yeah. your career was sort of leaning up at that Absolutely. point? Absolutely. Because at the time, you know, I was a, a young bloke with hair working in business journalism in a era of Bob Gottliebson and Brian Frith and uh, Max Walsh, all, you know, older, grey hair. And I kept thinking to myself, Okay, you're going to have to wait years and years to actually, you know, get to the top in traditional business journalism. And that's why retail investment side of things appealed to me because no one was covering it mm. here in Australia. So I decided to write about for BRW, cash management trusts and property trusts. They, they were just starting. Paul Keating had just deregulated the financial markets. So that spawned a whole bunch of entrepreneurs to launch investment products to, to retail investors. So I started writing about that, the first person to do it, and then started Personal Investment Magazine. Mm. So it gave me a a personal brand and niche mm. in an area where you didn't have to be old and experienced and you can develop your own. And did and, you know at the time you were onto something? Um, I sort of did. I remember doing the first cover story for BRW on the Hill Samuel Cash Management Trust. And and people go, what's a cash flow? I actually went and sat in the foyer of the Hill Samuel Cash Management Trust. They were on level 30 of the Stock Exchange building. Um, and I was amazed at people who brought money in and deposited then. Uh, it wasn't electronic back then, but mm. little old ladies to truck drivers, the whole thing just for an extra couple of percent on their savings. And... Um, so I did a story on it and circulation went up and Bob got leads and said to me, oh, maybe we should write more stories mm. for mm. retail investors. And I kept writing more and circulation went up, went up and there was a real real need for it. And then property trusts came along and then the equity funds and, and then compulsory superannuation came. Mm. So it was, was a great time to develop mm. a niche. So, yeah, you sort of developed that niche, but then you obviously built on it. But, you know, in your sort of teen years, did you know that's what you wanted to go into? No, no. I'd always dreamt of, because uh, I loved writing, I loved English, all that sort of stuff. I always thought 
being a journo would, would be terrific, but never thought I could ever get eaten to it, and I couldn't. So it was really weird. So I went into accounting, and one of the mature age students uh, who was doing accounting with me was Faye Frith, who was Brian Frith, the then business editor of The Australian, her husband. And Faye and I did a big corporate strategy piece for one of our units, and it was a takeover of David Jones. It was before there was a takeover of David Jones. Mm -hmm. And Brian read it, and he said, have you ever thought of a career in business journalism? I went, no, but I'd love it. (laughs) So I started as a cadet. And cadets always start covering the share market, and there was a share market boom. And my old man was a big coal trader, and there was a coal boom. So he was this cadet journo writing. I remember one day because really it's quite prestigious to get a a story on the front page of a national newspaper. Mm. And there was one day there I had three, wow. and I was still a cadet journo by. She asked that I was covering the share market and because all of the bigwigs in the coal industry, I knew because they'd come around home for dinner and dad oh. knew them and all that sort of stuff. So I was getting all these great stories. Fantastic. It's good. So I've loved it. In terms of leadership, because that's what we're talking about today, you're the leader of your organisation. But yep. as you were coming through with your career, were there leaders that you saw that you looked up to? Was there anybody oh, yeah. in, in, in your mind that you kind uh, of... My, my father mm-hmm. was the best leader I've ever known. It's funny. A lot of leadership is judged around success, mm-hmm. and that's quite right. But for me, great leadership is success and balance. Like the, the saddest stories I ever cover or people I interview are those that openly admit they sacrifice their family for success. And I could never understand that. Why, why you can't do both mm. is beyond me. But leaders who inspire and respect no matter who you are, and, and they're the leaders I admire, the ones that respect their employees no matter what position position they're in that mm. can relate to them and have a curiosity about what people do. For me, that's the mark of a great leader and building great values. And there aren't a huge amount of those around. Uh, Jerry Harvey, even when I was a young journo and just started my business, um, I'd go and interview Jerry and he would Mind me, so he's always a grumpy old bugger, and uh, <laughs> but always took an interest in my business and what I was doing. At the end of the interview, he'd ask how it was going and mm. and the whole thing. And I remember the best bit of advice in business I ever got was from him when he said, "Koshy, you've never been in business until you've been to the brink, looked over the edge, and come back from it." And I thought, what a grumpy old bastard he is. Good advice. Until it happened to me the first time and subsequent (laughs) times. And it's sobering. Every successful leader, I think, has gone to the brink and and learned from it, in my mind. And, And leaders I admire are the ones that built their own business. Leaders who have gone up the ranks of massive institutions, fair enough, they played the game and, you know, they've been promoted within, but they've never had to put their own money, their own house on the line and their family's future on the line. And that's 
that that's the ultimate mm. sign of success, I think. That's why I, lo- I invest in a lot of startups and things like that to mm. help people through. Fantastic. A lot of that resonates with me. But um, in terms of, you obviously interview a lot of people yep. and there's a lot of leaders in that sort of space. And obviously you talked about Jerry Harvey, but is there anybody that you, anybody okay. else in, the, in those uh, sort of... Jerry Harvey, uh, let me give you someone at the extreme other end of the scale, a lady called Holly Ransom, runs her own business uh, called Emergent, um, is has probably the best... I think Holly's now turned 30, may just have turned 30. She's been on the sort of a hunted her down for the Port Adelaide uh, board about five or six years ago. Just an extraordinary mind, extraordinary communicator, helps and consults businesses through generational change and leadership and cultural, the world's best networker and intimidates me with her intellect every time I sit down. <laughs> She's an incredible leader. Uh, Mel and Cliff from Canva, the founders of Canva. The worst investment decision I ever made in my life was about seven years ago and they were doing a raise and said, Kosha, you're going to want to put some money in. And I have, at the time had to be putting money into my own business. So I said no and I've regretted that ever since. But, <laughs> but the world's nicest people, great leaders, disruptors uh, are building a massive mm. empire, mm. huge empire and still in their, their early 30s. They're very admirable. How you cope with that at that age and build a team around you that can cope with growth like that is extraordinary. Mm. I, I really like uh, Disruptors. I bought a, into a business a few years ago. Now we now own it all out of a platform and newsletter called Startup Daily, which is the daily Bible for the startup, scale-up, venture capital community. And I got involved in that purely for the fact that I, for personal professional development, so I could travel in that founder community and get to know them all because Mm. they're the disruptors that building the new blueprint the mm. business into the future mm. and there are some amazing people working out there and in terms of your leadership style how, how would you describe that it's really hard to describe your own leadership because like every leader you suffer from imposter syndrome so you're never as good as people think you are and particularly when you have a profile in the media there have been times i've thought if only people knew the cash flow problems. <laughs> we, we were going through the best best book I ever read uh, for that was uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight from okay. Nike, founder of Nike. That entire book is based around how he kept afloat through cash flow problems and how he traded off manufacturers and bankers and the whole thing. I finished that book thinking... I don't feel so bad now. But if, <laughs> if Phil Knight went through all these cash flow problems, it must be pretty normal for everyone. So, look, I like to be inclusive. I like to be respectful for to everyone, no matter what they do. I'm not a details person. I'm more a big picture person. So I like to surround myself with people who are good at detail. And like my family business, my son is a bit like me and sort of sits on 
top of things and is very good at business development. And one of my daughters runs the money and the details of the business and it is never run better because of that combination. Yeah, and, and, and you find in very successful growth businesses and startups, you've got to have that yin and yang. You've got to have the big picture marketing relationship person and then the hard nose, cost control, you know, covering every dollar. Uh, so I'm I'm more, I'm not the detail, but I like a leadership style that surrounds myself with detailed people and give them the responsibility uh, and ambit just to run that side of the business. And in terms of how you see that leadership style playing out in the workplaces that you're involved with, so yep. obviously you've got some studios here where we are at, at your premises in Brangabrew, but also you're involved with athletes, uh, yep. you're involved in the media, obviously. Yep. How do you see the workplace playing a part? Okay, in I in football, and I tried to become a bit of a student of professional sports organisations, um, as a president and a board where they're not to be super fans. We're there to set direction, strategic direction. We're there to make sure we have the best people possible working at the upper echelons of the organisation. We are not there to kick footballs and tell players what to do or even get involved in the staff. Uh, at Port Adelaide, I introduced a, a charter of directors' values and behaviours and it is we don't talk out of the boardroom, we don't hang around the club, uh, we don't confuse staff of who their boss is by mm. getting too familiar with them. So from a director point of view and a president point of view is one leadership style, and I've got to be a bit careful because uh, with what I do in my hobby, everyone wants to chat to you and stuff like that, and that can't happen. In the family business, it's about adding where I think I can add with experience and my comfort zone in that financial and business area in terms of stories or ideas or marketing because I've grown up knowing, I think, what Australians want, how they approach money, their their fears, their needs, and I've tried to build a brand to average Australians that says, he's a bloke that understands money, but I can understand him. Mm. And, you know, he knows what we're all going through. And in terms of your workplaces themselves, the physical facilities that you've yep. got here, obviously you're catering for, for staff that are engaging in studios and, and that yep. sort of thing. Where is the future heading for your organisation and, and the workplace that it has? Um, you have a view on that? It, it depends on your, your industry. Sort of everyone that goes, oh, everyone's got to be remote working from home all the time, that's usually by middle-aged or older white males and females who have a study at home or a nice place to live in, mm. talking on behalf of maybe younger employees that who are in a share house that would have to work out of their bedroom and drive them nuts. So it's horses for courses in terms of ind individual employees and also the industry you're in. A place like, like mine, we have greater flexibility now and it works really well. We've learned from the pandemic and everyone's sort of match fit in terms of remote working. Yep. Uh, they know how to use Slack well and use Harvest and Asana and, mm -hmm. you know, 
all the tools to um, to be accountable and to communicate with each other. But we're in the people business. We're in the relationship business. Um, it's you can't replace the buzz of we're we're always open plan. I don't have an office. It's always a we're out. I love the buzz of you know people have a problem they yell out and everyone solves it together. So, but that's our industry, mm. which is different to many others. And do you see it continuing on that journey? In terms of flexibility, mm. I do. Mm. In terms of 100% at work or 100% at home, no, I don't. I think the pendulum will swing back. I, I think remote workers, like we're all human beings. We're all you know, generally like relationships and workplace environments and, you know, we socialise together uh, in your own friendship group. How many people met met at work or met at work drinks or mm. whatever? That's just how we operate. So, so I think there's a hybrid, depending, and a and a flexibility depending on your industry and your staff. What works best for you? It's been a great conversation with you today. So thanks for joining. Just leave us with some of the best piece of advice you have received in your career. Best piece of advice I've ever received was from my father, who always brought us kids up with a saying, always have enough confidence in yourself to give anything a go, but then have enough confidence in yourself that if it doesn't work out, go and do something else. And that's basically around people are too scared to take up an opportunity for fear of failure. Give it your best go. But if it doesn't work out, then don't be held hostage by it. Uh, You may have switched jobs because the grass is greener. It hasn't turned out to be greener. But you think, oh, I can't leave here now because it will be too hard to do something else or I'm a bit too scared. Don't be scared. Always do something that you love. And I've always lived by that and hopefully my kids do as well. What a great piece of advice to end on, David. Thank you for coming on to Work It's Personal today. Ryan, good to catch up.